Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Lohoko, and Figile Lingwati. Our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. Civil Society Group urges South Africa's President Jacob Zuma to step down. Sudan People's Liberation Movement agrees to end use of child soldiers. And U.S. President-elect appoints new ambassador to the United Nations. In economics news, BP loses $68 million court ruling over Morocco oil cargo. And in sports news, third test match between Australia and South Africa gets underway. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's International Relations Department has confirmed that South Sudanese rebel leader and the country's former vice president, Rahik Machar, has returned to South Africa after he was denied entry to Ethiopia. The move is seen as part of a regional policy to exclude him from the political process in South Sudan after Tabanding's appointment as first vice president. According to Ethiopia's Broadcasting Corporation, Machar's documentation was not in order and authorities told him to fly to South Africa. Machar recently called for an armed struggle against the South Sudanese government of President Slovakir. South Africa's International Relations Department spokesperson Clayson Munella. The former vice president of South Sudan is in South Africa. He was in South Africa before um, he traveled to uh, whatever destinations he was traveling to, and uh, he was denied uh, entry into Ethiopia, and uh, he came back to South Africa. A prominent Sudanese rebel group has signed a deal with the United Nations to end the recruitment and use of child soldiers in its ranks. The Sudan People's Liberation Movement North, known as the SPLMN, is on a UN list of groups blamed for committing grave violations against children. The deal is the first step in getting off that list. Under the deal, the SPLMN agreed to release all children in their ranks, take measures to stop the recruitment of minors, including through formal orders to senior commanders, and help former child soldiers reintegrate with their families. Morocco has quit the 4th Africa-Arab World Summit in Equatorial Guinea in protest against the presence of a delegation from the Palisario Front. The group is seeking the independence of Western Sahara. According to Morocco's foreign ministry, the Moroccan delegation made the decision to walk out of the summit in Malabo to protest the presence of the emblem of a puppet entity in the meeting rooms. Morocco has made an official request to rejoin the AU more than four decades after leaving the Pan-African in protest against the membership of Western Sahara. The country withdrew from the AU in 1984 when Western Sahara was accepted as a member. 
Security forces in Cameroon have arrested about 100 people during days of protests over alleged discrimination against minority English-speaking people. Officials say one person was killed in the city of Bamenda. Several others were wounded in the protests, which started on Monday. French is spoken in eight of Cameroon's ten regions and English in the northwestern and southwestern regions. And finally, the United Nations expert Mia Nakia has expressed serious alarm at Egypt's approval of a draft law which would impose major restrictions on the work of non-governmental organizations. Kia says if the bill became law, it would devastate the country's civil society for generations to come and turn it into a government puppet. The Egyptian parliament approved the bill on the 15th of this month and sent it to the State Council for review. It will be sent back to Parliament for a final vote at an unknown date. The government did not hold consultations with civil society on its contents. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Thursday, November the 23rd, that rather the 24th of, the 24th, the 328th day of 2016, with 38 days left in the year. Save South Africa says President Jacob Zuma has failed the nation and should not be allowed to finish his full term in office. The organization, which consists of ordinary South Africans, anti-apartheid struggle stalwarts, business and civil society groups officially launched its campaign entitled The People's Motion of No Confidence in the President. This follows the release of a state capture report by the former public protector Tulima Donzela. The report did not directly implicate the president, but it revealed that the wealthy Gupta family, which has close ties with the president, Zuma, say may have had a role in appointing senior government officials. Mbali Sibanyoni reports. We pray for the swift removal of the state president from power, for disrespecting his oath of office and plunging our nation into crisis. Ordinary South Africans struggle stalwarts and organizations packed up the old woman's jail at the Constitutional Hill to make their voices heard. And the message is clear. They want President Jacob Zuma to step down, save South Africa's Sipo Pijana. Today's civil society is saying no to corruption and we're saying no to, a state, of, to state capture. We're saying no to the use of state-owned enterprises as the piggy banks of the corrupt and the use of state institutions to further the agenda of political factions. We are saying no to a president who inexplicably refuses to sign a new bill into law that will enhance our ability to identify and stop money laundering. The organization says it needs to save the country from the president because if it doesn't do it now, there will be no South Africa to save in 2019. Bijana has called on the ANC to put the people of the country first. South Africa is more important than the ANC. And it is certainly more important than President Zuma. South Africa's democratic project is too important to let, to let one captured man destroy it. It is time for firm and decisive action. 
We take this opportunity as Save South Africa to plead with the ANC to hear our call and to hear the call of the people of South Africa and save South Africa. Meanwhile, the ANC has hit back saying this organization is no different to the way political party COPE was formed, the ruling party's Zizi Godwa. When the Save South Africa started, uh, it started, it looked genuine. It looked like people were concerned both about the ANC and about the country. It looked like cadres of the African National Congress using the name African National Congress as a base to launch what is now becoming like a cope light, uh, which is not different from when cope was formed. Save South Africa plans to popularize the campaign over the next six months, urging supporters to wear dukes, bandanas and armbands with the organization's name. It has also launched an online petition for South Africans who want to play their part in the movement. Mbali Sibanyoni, SABC News, Constitutional Hill. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has strongly rebuked former public protector advocate Tulima Donsela for suggesting that Chief Justice Mukhweng Mukhweng appoint a judicial commission of inquiry into the state of capture report. Mukhweng has said he does not have a constitutional obligation of appointing a judicial commission of inquiry. The report implicated Zuma and several others in an alleged improper relationship with the Gupta family. Yesterday, President Zuma made his last appearance before MPs for this year. Tseboi Ganeng filed this report. President Zuma's question and answer session got off to a smooth start. The economic freedom fighters who have in the past heckled President Zuma and disrupted proceedings boycotted the sitting. Responding to a question about the recommendations of the former public protector on the state of capture report, President Zuma condemned the manner in which advocate Tulima Donsela handled her investigations. In her report, President Zuma is cited as having had a compromised relationship with the controversial Gupta family. Answering questions in the National Assembly, President Zuma took a swipe at Madonsela. This report has been dealt with in a very funny way. Very funny, in my view. It affected me and many. No fairness at all. The manner in which, therefore, the report comes in and makes the recommendations is a matter that concerns some of us who are mentioned there. We would want that work to be done properly. It is the president who has the right to appoint a commission. No one, no matter what position they hold, can instruct the president to establish a commission and even tell the process through which you must go. It's very funny. I've never heard of it. So that's a problem that we are faced with in regard to this report. Meanwhile, President Zuma has come out in support of the Gupta family, saying the action by the four biggest banks to stop doing business with them was suspicious and needed to be probed. Several companies, including all four major banks, cut links in April with companies associated with the Guptas. President Zuma claimed the banks acted simultaneously, a move he said was untoward. If a number of banks act in the same way, simultaneously, that is not an ordinary act. It suggested there is something untoward here. And as government, we wanted constructively to interact with the banks to find out what is this 
What are they doing? We want to look into that matter and get to the bottom of it. We're not dealing with the company. We're dealing with the actions of the bank. President Zuma had in the meantime refused to disclose details of a reprimand he gave to Mineral Resources Minister Museben Zizwani after he called for a judicial commission of inquiry into the termination of financial services to the Gupta-owned Ogbe Investments. In September, Zwani issued a statement saying cabinet had taken a decision to probe major banks and audit firms for closing down accounts of the Gupta family. The presidency and cabinet swiftly distanced themselves from the statement, accusing Zwani of acting in his personal capacity. President Zuma says he has accepted Zwani's apology. I reprimanded the minister for the remarks and he apologized. Any president in the world looked at the gravity of the matter and the conclusion would not produce the same kind of action. It's, it, there's nothing abnormal here. Ministers are reprimanded and at times ministers could be taken out of their jobs. It depends on the thing that has been done. So we did the right thing. Reprimanded the minister, the minister apologized. What else do you need? On the state of economy, the president said government's efforts to introduce labor market reforms is a positive step towards staving off sovereign credit ratings downgrades. This is ahead of an announcement by international rating agencies of a review of the country's sovereign credit rating status in the next two weeks. President Zuma elaborated on government initiatives to avoid a downgrade. The purpose is to work together to reduce policy uncertainty, improve confidence in the country's ability to achieve inclusive growth with continual large investments in energy, transport, and telecommunications. I believe we have indeed done a lot working together to create favorable conditions for economic growth and to stave off any downgrade. Asked if the credibility crisis of the NPA, leadership battles at SARS, and factions in the ANC are not putting the country's economic stability at risk, President Zuma accused the opposition of politicizing issues. We in South Africa tend to politicize grading. We tend to politicize to pick and choose what we think is a problem that the, the, the rating agencies will talk about. That's a problem. We politicize the issues in South Africa. On calls for free university education, President Zuma said there would be no free education until government came up with a solution on how to fund it. The president asked opposition MPs who were critical of government's response to the student crisis to be patient and wait for the final report of the commission he set up in January to probe the feasibility of a fee-free education. Tsepo Ikaneng, SABC News in Pretoria. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1961. UN Security Council calls on UN members to make Africa nuclear weapons free zone. That was today in history in the year 1961. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revive Africa, Africa, we 
sunrise. Le soleil est levé. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishani, Pulibanj. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South Africa's opposition party, the AFF, has boycotted President Jacob Zuma's oral reply session in Parliament, but says it will protect the precincts of Parliament against Zuma in the future by denying him access. It also says this will be demonstrated during the 2017 State of a Nation Address in February next year. Our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Percent, tells us more. President Zuma's previous oral reply session on the 13th of September was marred by interruptions as the EFF and COPE attempted to prevent him from speaking. They said he was an illegitimate president who broke his oath of office. The only question he must answer is when is he resigning as president of our country. I'm not going to allow a criminal to speak in this house when you are doing nothing about this criminal. And the president was not happy. Each time when I come here, I am abused by members of your parliament. He returned to the National Assembly yesterday for his last oral reply session for this year. The EFF decided not to attend the proceedings in the Assembly, reiterating that the president is an illegitimate president. EFF Chief Whip Floyd Shibambu. As the EFF would not recognize Jacob Zuma as head of state and government, that is why we are not participating in the process. But in the future, be rest assured, as the EFF are going to protect this parliament from Jacob Zuma. We're going to make sure that even entering here is not allowed to enter this particular institution, this particular precinct, because these precincts are established as per the constitution and a criminal, a thug, will not be allowed to come and do anything here because this is not a space of criminals. Shibambu says the EFF has a new plan for President Zuma when he returns for the 2017 State of the Nation address. So one thing for sure is that in 2017 we're going to protect this institution and there's no amount of intimidation and threats that are going to succeed in uh, preventing the EFF from protecting this particular parliament. So we're going to provide the exact details of what is going to happen when 2017 the state of nation address processes are closed. You know in the past when we said that we're going to ask him questions during the state of nations address. We did exactly that. Even when they tried with the violence, even when they intimidated us with even arresting us, we never retreated. Even this time when we were going to protect our parliament, we're going to protect it. How we're going to do it, the details will come out when the sauna is about to happen. But this, pro- this parliament must be protected from criminals who disrespect the constitution, who violate the laws that are the founding principles of our democracy. 
He says the EFF also has a political plan that would ultimately lead to the removal of the president from office. There are obviously political processes that were engaged in, which are going to continue to be engaged in, to make sure that he is ultimately removed as a president of the Republic of South Africa because uh, we cannot continue to have a president who does not respect the constitution. Those who argue that it's his constitutional right to come and answer questions here are missing the point because it is the very same constitution which he has violated. Efforts to get a response from the ANC in Parliament to Shibambu's comments were unsuccessful. However, ANC national spokesperson Zizi Kodwa says the EFF's threats not to allow the president to address the nation in February will not succeed. I think Parliament and security must not take those threats lightly, must take them seriously. But obviously the president is the president of the republic. No one and no political organization can stop President Zuma from giving a state of the nation next year. Even when President Zuma is expected to appear before Parliament, we've seen disruptions, but those disruptions never stopped him from being accountable to Parliament. Godwa added that the ANC is happy with the way the oral reply session unfolded yesterday, giving praise to the President and other political parties. We must congratulate President Zuma that throughout this year, every time he appears in Parliament, he has been called, he has been ridiculed, he has been caricatured. In spite of that, he continues to come to Parliament to fulfill his constitutional obligation. Today we have seen one of the most civilized and elderly sessions in Parliament. And we must congratulate all political parties, including the opposition, that they have allowed the President of the Republic to answer questions. He's not only talking to MPs, it's an opportunity for him to talk to the nation. And that was South Africa's ruling African National Congress spokesperson Zizi Godwa ending that report by our parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Percent. Namibia International Beach and Cultural Festival, Langstrand Beach, Wolfers Bay, Namibia, 23rd, 24th, 25th of December. Music festival with international and local artists. Four-night accommodation packages and activities available at CompuTicket Travel. Main event tickets available at CompuTicket. 150 Namibian dollars, 150 rands, and 130 pula. Tickets are available at ShopRite and Checkers. Get yours today. VIP is 500 Namibian dollars, 500 rands or 380 pula. Hashtag Xmas in Namibia. Hashtag Harambe. Cultures of Southern Africa route is powered by Channel Africa. www.culturalfestival.net Download the app today. It's 8.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 2003. The High Court in Glasgow, Scotland rules that Abdel Basset Ali al Magrahi, a Libyan intelligence agent convicted in 2001 for the 1988 bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland, will serve 27 years in prison before becoming eligible for parole. That was today in history in the year 2003. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa. 
the voice of the African Renaissance. A bid to halt grave rights violations against children in Sudan moved a step closer on Wednesday when a pledge by one of the country's main guerrilla groups prohibiting the use of child soldiers. Signing the deal at the UN in Geneva, the chairman of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement North, SPLMN, Malik Agar, pledged his group's continuing commitment to the protection of children in conflict. Daniel Johnson reports. A signing ceremony at the United Nations in Geneva. The Sudan People's Liberation Movement North, or SPLMN, has just pledged not to use or recruit child soldiers. The guerrilla group's agreement to this UN action plan is a major step forward in the bid to protect children from abuse in a country where millions are out of school and malnutrition is rife. Instrumental in the signing of the agreement is UNICEF's representative for Sudan, Abdullah Fadil, who says that the use of children in conflict happens wherever there is fighting. Comparatively, Sudan has been better than many other conflict areas, but still, one child is one too many used in armed conflict. Not necessarily only to fight, but also everything that leads to in the armed conflict. It could be children used to even work and produce for military. That's not also allowed. Negotiations between the UN and Sudan's armed groups are ongoing. UNICEF, the UN Children's Fund, said similar commitments to protect children from armed recruitment may be imminent. Armed groups, along with Sudanese government forces, have been identified in the UN Security Council for one of six rights violations, killing and maiming, sexual violence, attacks on schools and hospitals, recruitment and abduction. The hope is that each of these groups will commit to a UN-led action plan of their own to promote the rights of children and to protect them. But monitoring these commitments is key and access is the major issue, as UN Special Representative for Children and Armed Conflict, Leila Zarugi, points out. It's the implementation of the action plan, the access to the area is part of the action plan, and the screening of the troops that will allow us to identify. So we will see when we start implementing, when we have access to the area, and when we uh, screen the troops and we will see how many children are still there. Leader of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement North, Malik Agar, told journalists in Geneva that he was committed to the deal. He stressed that the area under his group's control was the size of Belgium and home to more than one million people and that it was Khartoum, not his group, that was responsible for denying the UN access. Mr Agar said that his guerrilla movement was open and had nothing to hide and had signed the UN agreement willingly. It is an obligation and instance that you protect our infants. And to protect that one, you need sometimes mechanisms in place. And we needed that the involvement of an organisation like the UN because sometimes it's resources and you put mechanisms in place and then you have the gaps, then you need uh, an, an organization that can fill the gap. And uh, th that is why we, we, we sign it, because we wanted a partner for, uh, with us to do this. To date, there are 25 UN action plans around the world involving 11 government forces and 13 non-state armed groups. Daniel Johnson, United Nations, Geneva. United States President-elect Donald Trump's nomination to be his next United Nations ambassador has received a cautiously optimistic response from diplomats at the world body. The future president has named South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley uh, has his, as his 
UN pick on a day the Security Council was given deliberating on the peace process in the Middle East, in particular the lack of progress in the Palestinian-Israeli situation. The U.S., while trying to move the process forward through facilitating direct negotiations, they have often been seen as a stumbling block to any council action on pushing the parties back to talks. Show in Bryce Peace reports. Republican Governor Nikki Haley is not well known in foreign policy circles. A fierce critic of Donald Trump during the presidential campaign, with diplomats being, well, diplomatic about a likely future colleague, the UK's ambassador Matthew Rycroft. I congratulate Governor Nikki Haley on her nomination. Uh, I look forward to working closely with her. She will bring to the UN a strong track record of achievement from South Carolina. And I know that the UK-US relationship uh, will continue to go from strength to strength. French Ambassador Francois Delattre said he'd met with Governor Haley in a previous posting while in Washington. In my previous position as uh, France's ambassador to Washington, I had the uh, pleasure and opportunity to meet with uh, Governor Haley. We had a wonderful contact uh, and uh, she's uh, highly regarded, very respected uh, politician and professional. But diplomats here tell us that they don't know what to expect under Trump administration and a president-elect and a Republican party generally skeptical of the UN. At the heart of that concern will be the Palestinian question, a topic of debate in the Security Council Wednesday that again heard how time is running out for a two-state solution. A question put to Palestine's ambassador Riyad Mansour. The Palestinian leadership uh, announced that uh, we respect, of course, the decision of the American people in electing whom, whomever they wish to lead them. And we will observe very closely, uh, you know, how uh, this uh, administration, the new administration, will navigate on many issues, especially issues related to us. And we will make our judgment and uh, position uh, after we know exactly how they are going to deal with our issue. Trump has been critical of the UN Security Council using a resolution to impose negotiations and an agreement between the Israelis and Palestinians, something the latter has beseeched the council on. He's also floated the idea of appointing his 35-year-old Jewish son-in-law, Jared Kushner, as his Middle East envoy. Palestine's ambassador again. To have the deal you know, a solution to this very uh, complicated issue, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And we hope that this sentiment of if you want to make a deal, you know, then you have to have reasonable relationship with uh, both parties, not only with one party. And we will be paying close attention to such uh, pronouncements. And we sincerely hope that this becomes, you know, uh, official position so that would allow us you know to uh, work with the new administration with a view of trying to put an end to the Israeli occupation uh, to see the reality of a two-state solution living side by side in peace and harmony and if that would be the position to be followed that that would be something that one can work with definitely we have to work with this administration. With a broad consensus emerging here that come what may, diplomacy often means reaching across the table 
no matter who's sitting on the other side. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. It's 8.31 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. In the headlines, South Sudan's rebel leader and the country's former vice president, Rahik Machaz, returned to South Africa after he was denied entry to Ethiopia. South Africa's ruling ANC has accused the Save South Africa organization of trying to destabilize the state and weaken the ruling party. And security forces in Cameroon have arrested about 100 people during days of protests over alleged discrimination against minority English-speaking people. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The International Air Transport Association, IATA, has announced the launch of an airport wildlife trafficking assessment tool which will help defeat smugglers of endangered species. Chris Gota, Assistant Director of Corporate Communications at the International Air Transport Association, says actors in the air transport sector can serve as the eyes and ears of enforcement agencies and can be valuable partners in the efforts to eliminate wildlife trafficking from supply chains. He spoke to Channel Africa's Wandile Kalipa. So, this is a global problem, and as you're well aware, I'm sure we're seeing huge amounts of illegal uh, trafficking of wildlife, both animals, individual animal parts, and things like specialist woods and things like that as well. So it's a huge global problem. And unfortunately, the air transport network is being used by smugglers and uh, traffickers to transport this material. Um, some of it goes by sea, but a lot of it goes by air. So as an industry, we realize that we have a responsibility to work with governments to try and resolve this problem. And earlier this year, the International Air Transport Association and a number of airlines around the world signed something called the Buckingham Palace Declaration in London. And this committed us to working with authorities and with our partners to try and tackle this issue. And out of this, has come a number of initiatives, including this trafficking assessment tool that we're going to roll out at airports worldwide. How is it going to be able to defeat smugglers of endangered species? Well, on its own, it won't defeat the smugglers. This is a global problem, as I said, and a huge issue, which probably will never be entirely eradicated, just like all kinds of crime. You can never completely defeat it. But we believe that the work we are doing with our partners in terms of training and awareness and some of this assessment work that we're now beginning, we think it will help. It will help because it will raise the awareness of the public and the staff and the workers who are on the front line at airports and other areas where this trafficking occurs. It will help them to report to see what they're looking for and understand that and then to report it to the authorities and hopefully catch criminals in the act, which will make it more and more difficult for them to do what they do. It's a global problem, though, and we need governments to do more as well. So on its own, what we're doing isn't going to solve the problem, but it will play a part.
And uh, talking about the tool to help airports to assess their supply chain, security, intelligence, and risk management, what is being referred to in particular in this case? Well, there's different things there, but the tool, the assessment tool specifically that we have announced last week is a very comprehensive assessment for an airport and the supply chain that supply there and are working on that airport to help with their kind of approach to this problem. And how does it work? Well, it's basically a two-stage process that will begin with an interview. The assessors will come in and speak to all the people working at the airport that are relevant to this issue and ask them about things like their awareness of the issue, what sort of publicity is available, and how much do they know about the problem. Then we might ask them about the reporting process. Who do they go to if they spot something that's happening? How can they contain the material or the person that they suspect is trafficking? And then there's all kinds of questions around security, everything around from are the fences secure to what's the training like and the technology that's available at the airport. And all of these questions are then taken away and validated. So we understand the answers that people give us. We check that those answers are correct. And then a report is made. That's the second stage. The report is put together and the recommendations are then given back to the airport. It's a confidential process. It is not about criticizing the airport or beating them up or telling them that they've done the wrong thing. It's about working together with the customs authorities to identify any gaps and close those so that we have a much better process for capturing these criminals. And uh, again, Chris, what would be the challenges to undo what has been practiced on exposing the major role players in smuggling endangered species? The challenges are very significant because this is a multi-billion dollar business for these traffickers. There are unfortunately a lot of customers for these illegal wildlife goods. So it is a significant and wide-ranging challenge not only to try and prevent the smuggling occurring, but there's also a huge educational element where governments and other organizations need to speak to society to explain to them that these materials and wildlife don't provide the solutions they're looking for and moreover hugely damage the future wildlife inheritance that we all want to share in the future. So everything from awareness and training through to education of the end user is absolutely crucial. There needs to be stronger legislative deterrent so that the penalties are stronger. We need governments to share data and information about you know, risky routes and things like that so that governments are talking to each other across the oceans. So there's an awful lot that can be done. And as I said, our assessment tool is one small part of this overall campaign the world needs to get behind. Some people might think that the smuggling of endangered species would not have taken place without the assistance of the supply chain, that is the security as well as intelligence at the airport you could... Uh, have colluded with the smugglers and now how is that situation going to be addressed? Well that's not something that our assessment tool specifically tackles. Clearly everyone has a responsibility to abide by the law and the law is very clear that you know many of these animals are simply not allowed to be trafficked and so we obviously hope that people will abide by the law. If there are people who are breaking the law we think that 
things like the assessment tool and the increased vigilance of the police and customs authorities and so on will help to catch people who are breaking the law, whether they are inside the industry or outside the industry. That was Chris Gota from the International Air Transport Association on the line from Geneva speaking to Wendile Kalipa. Zimbabwe Diabetes Association has called on government to help raise awareness of the disease as it reaches epidemic proportions globally. During the launch of the website aimed at educating Zimbabweans more about diabetes, ZDA President John Mwangwiro said diabetes is killing a lot of people now due to ignorance. Simon Muchema has more. Diabetes, now referred to as the killer disease, is a deadly condition caused by lavish lifestyles and suppresses the breakdown of insulin in the human body. The killer disease was previously associated with obesity and lack of exercises, but as it stands today, at least 10% of the country's population is affected. 95% of those affected are not aware of the living conditions making it very difficult to deal with the condition as people go to hospital when it is rather too late. In Zimbabwe, causes of diabetes are not well known such that there are various reasons given to the increase of people living with the condition. During the launch of a new diabetes website in the capital Harare Tuesday, President of the Zimbabwe Diabetes Association, John Manguero, spoke of the causes of diabetes, a disease killing millions each year. Dr. Manguiro explained. And in Zimbabwe, about 10% of our population from the 2005 statistics was diabetic. And about 1.4 million, if we say we are 14 million, are diabetic. And half of that population is not aware that they are diabetic. They are not aware. So we are talking about over 2 million people who might be diabetic. Dr. Manguiro added. And the commonest cause of the 95% of the type of diabetes is mainly lifestyle. Whether it's meat-eating methods, exercises, it's all part of the mitigating factors that are involved in the causation and management of uh, type 2 diabetes. Diabetes Day is commemorated each year on the 14th of November, a day when the man who discovered insulin was born. Insulin helped improve the management of diabetes as it is a drug that helps the breakdown of sugars in a human body. Diabetes mellitus means something sweet, that's diabetes. Mellitus means lots of siphoning or urinating. These are the first symptoms that were discovered or that were observed in diabetics. And diabetes was associated with people who were lazy and how correct they were, people who were fat or obese and how correct they were. Then people discovered insulin in 1922. One called bending discovered insulin in 1922. And this made a turnaround to all diabetes management. And hence, we commemorated the 14th of November. This day was his birthday. However, experts say ignorance is the major cause of diabetes, especially in Zimbabwe. 
most Zimbabweans now concentrate on eating starch. We're a starch nation. People wake up, eat porridge. In the past, porridge was reserved for the severely ill ones, but we have converted this one into a diet that's all over. Even food variety in Harare is very poor. It's just this flex, porridge, flex, bread, tea. But if you go back to your mother in the rural areas, there is more variety of food types and quality. Here we concentrate on starch, especially in towns. So it's very important for people to be aware that type 2 diabetes, which I said is 95%, is on the increase due to ignorance of the causes. Meanwhile, Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa warned that by 2025, the global population equivalent to the number of people living on the continent Africa would be suffering from diabetes. Consequently, I would like to commend the ZDA for taking this route to reach out to the people and educate them on the symptoms, complications and management of diabetes. I'm informed that the thrust of the website is to raise awareness and educate the nation on the management of people living with diabetes and its prevention. It is estimated that by 2025, the number of people living with diabetes will be equivalent to the whole population of the Africa region. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. For Channel Africa's economic update, my name is Tabi Solohoku. Hello. One of the world's leading integrated oil and gas companies, BP, must pay more than 68 million US dollars to the National Bank of Abu Dhabi. A United Kingdom court made a ruling in a case stemming from the surprise closure of Morocco's Samir refinery last year. The British energy company sold a cargo of Russian euros to Samir in August 2014, which was not paid for and the National Bank of Abu Dhabi took on 95% of that debt. Angola's state oil company, Sonangol, has amassed hundreds of millions of US dollars in debt and deferred payments to all oil major contractors, while its new chief, Isabel Doshantosh, attempts to reform its operations. Contractors say they have waited months even for small payments from Sonangol, which handles the oil and gas reserves of Africa's second largest oil exporter. The South African Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee will announce its final interest rate decision for the year on Thursday. The bank has kept the repo rate steady at 7% since March. The prime lending rate is at 10.5%. Thursday's announcement will come as inflation slows down and economic growth remains sluggish. 
Meanwhile, two ratings agencies are set to announce their assessments of South Africa's credit rating. Moody's is expected to make its announcement on Friday, while Standard & Poor's will announce its decision next week. President Jacob Zuma says government efforts to introduce labor, labor market reforms is a positive step towards staving off sovereign credit ratings downgrade. Zuma was answering questions in the National Assembly on Wednesday in his last appearance for the year. The purpose is to work together to reduce policy uncertainty, improve confidence in the country's ability to achieve inclusive growth with continual large investments in energy, transport and telecommunications. I believe we have indeed done a lot working together to create favorable conditions for economic growth and to stave off any downgrade. The US dollar trades at 1410 in South Africa, 1069 in Botswana, 977 in Zambia, 80 British pound, 94 euro. Gold $1,185, platinum $918 an ounce, brand crude $48.95 a barrel. You are listening to Channel Africa. Day-night series, uh, South Africa, 4-417. Yeah, no, they, they started very, very, no, not so good before tea earlier on, but uh, I think they're recovering when we can see the Fav Duplessis and uh, Temba Babvuma at the crease. So they're trying to stabilize the, the whole uh, setup as they begin. Okay, give us an update. Oh yes, we confirm that it's uh, after 42 overs now and uh, South Africa and uh, against Australia in the historical day and night uh, test. It's 117 for the loss of four wickets. And I can confirm now, there's another wicket that has just dropped. The fifth one, and that is Temba Bavuma. Now, South African Preachers Captain Faf Duplessis won the toss and later to bed first in the day night test at Adelaide Oval this morning. We'll see as the day progresses. In football news, when the Confederation of African Football CAF Refereeing Department suspended Ghanaian international referee Joseph Lamptey for three months earlier this week, there were some mixed reactions in the country. Lamptey's suspension follows his questionable penalty in favor of Bafana Bafana in 2018 World Cup qualifier against Senegal. That was won by, by 2-1 to South Africa in Polokwane last week. Former FIFA referee Sylvester Ndaba argues why he thinks this was a good decision by KEF to suspend Lamptey. I happen to know Joseph Lemty uh, as a match official. I know his, his father, Major George Lemty, because he was an instructor of KEF and we went through his hands. And that's why even in my analysis was um, George, the father, would not be happy with the performance of his son. I think he will be the first one to chastise him. Uh, and the performance wise, um, particularly with that major decision, we always say to referees, 
when you make a mistake, it's, it's acceptable, you're human. But don't make a mistake that changes the outcome of the game because you'll be penalized heavily. So I'm not surprised that this decision was taken. The Senegalese Football Association had also written to Kef and FIFA complaining about Lamptey's performance on the day where they didn't only question the penalty but other decisions as well. And in local football, Kef champions Mamelodi Sundowns have registered a third win of the season to move into the top eight position after thumping Golden Arrows 3-0 in an upside premiership match played at the Loftus First Stadium in Pretoria last night. Coach Peter Misimane says it was a difficult and easy match. A difficult but easy game. Difficult in the sense that you have to penetrate and go to the other side and try and penetrate that big block. Easy because they give you a chance to play because they're sitting back. And I always knew that and I prayed that we should score first. Because if you score first, um, a game like this becomes easier, especially when you look after the ball. In the South African Premiership side, Kaiser Chiefs' winless streak continued unabated as Super Sports United held them to a one all draw in an upset Premiership game that showed a lot of promise in the first half at FMB Stadium last night. The draw means that Chiefs has now gone five matches without a win in all competitions following the exit in the Telecom Knockout quarterfinals too. Chiefs head coach Steve Combella seems to suggest that this team was held by the lack of confidence following the 2-1 loss to Mamelodi Sundowns at the weekend. I think it was always going to be difficult uh, at the back of the result we suffered on, on Saturday. And apart from that mental pressure, it was a pressure now where they're meeting their former boss and he's also here. I know we're professional, there's no emotions attached, but reality is that he worked here. And I'm sure we have six players at Supersport, six. And they literally are part of what we had been doing. And all those, they made up for a very tough match, very tight. You saw in the first half. Uh, a draw, we're not happy with a draw. From here, we'll have to look forward. In rugby news, Kylie Brown has stepped down as Springbok Sevens captain and will instead settle into a more supportive role to the younger leaders in the squad. With Philip Snyman and appointed as Blitzbok new captain, will be assisted. Springbok Sevens coach Neil Powell praised Brown for the role he played over the last five seasons and emphasized that the Blitzbok veteran still has an important role to play in the team. The Springbok Sevens team for Dubai, the opening tournament of the 2016-17 HSBC World Rugby Sevens Series, will be named on Friday. That's your sport news this hour. Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa Civil Society Group urges South Africa's President Jacob Zuma to step down. Sudan People's Liberation Movement agrees to end use of child soldiers. And U.S. President-elect appoints new ambassador to the United Nations. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magadza and Tutongobeni, technical producer Sislendobu and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Yvonne Chaka Chaka with a song titled I'm in love with the DJ.
your rainbow station KMOD FM 95 out of Wichita, Kansas where the man says it's gonna be coming down all night I hope you're warm and tight honey if you're feeling alone baby just get on the phone and talk to me just get on the phone honey he makes me feel so special and so close to me Cheers me up, he makes me smile, he makes my life worthwhile. Should I say? 